bivocational pastor was working for a small local health clinic. He lived and worked in a remote area, so good-paying jobs were rather scarce. But the pastor felt blessed to have a job that could support his family and allow him the flexibility to still pastor the church. But despite enjoying his work and being well paid for it, the pastor had one major problem. His supervisor, his boss. His boss at the clinic was not overly kind, and that is saying it kindly. The supervisor frequently overburdened her employees by passing off her work to them, and she had no problem harshly berating her employees and subordinates publicly. Her language was foul. Her demeanor was arrogant. Many workers complained to human resources and upper management, but those complaints fell on deaf ears. However, the pastor believed that prayer changes things, so he took this matter to the Lord in prayer. Months passed, his supervisor had still not changed. In fact, she had not gotten better. She had rather grown worse. And yet the pastor committed to prayer, even more, and nothing seemed to change. Maybe you've been there before. Prayed, 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 nothing changes. In fact, sometimes if it does, it gets worse. But don't fret. Prayer does work. After nearly a year, the healthcare company offered to send several of its employees to a training seminar in another state for an entire week. The topic of the conference was working with difficult people. I'm sure they sold out in seconds. The pastor was intrigued. He volunteered to go. But after a week at the conference, he was more discouraged than he was when he came. He had taken exhaustive notes, but he felt like nothing could help his situation. On the last day of the conference, he approached the main speaker, and he shared his saga. The main speaker offered an unexpected suggestion. Have you tried buying her a gift and writing her a nice card? What? Why would I do that? He asked incredulously. The speaker replied, Sounds to me like she's stressed. Think about it. She works in a remote area. She's the only one within a hundred miles who can do her job. Maybe if you work hard to treat her kindly, she'll realize the error of her ways in treating you harshly and treat all of you differently think about that one. The next week, the pastor convinced the entire office to chip in and buy their boss a card, a bouquet of flowers, and a gift card to her favorite restaurant. Within a month, the office noticed a drastic change in her. She spoke softer, and she was more patient, more sensitive to her employees' needs. In the end, the pastor was right that prayer did change things. But before God changed her heart, God had to first change the pastor's heart. My goodness. We're going to hear a lot more about what he's able to do in us and through us right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Hey, good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. You're listening to LJ Harry on this God's Word for Life companion podcast. So happy to have you. Today's episode, it stems from a lesson that is dated July 16th, 2023, entitled Disciplines of a Disciple. And... This episode comes right out of the book of Matthew from the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, verses 4, 
6, and 18. And here they are in that order. Chapter 6, verse 4, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Verse 6, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Verse 18, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Maybe you picked up on a little theme there. What you do in secret, God will bless in public. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he contrasted the behavior of hypocrites with how he expected his followers to live. Here's a clue, not like hypocrites. Jesus taught his disciples proper motives for common spiritual disciplines like prayer, like fasting, like giving. And in this passage, Jesus did not overtly tell his disciples to give, to pray, to fast. He simply assumed they already were. He constantly spoke of when you give, when you pray, when you fast. They didn't need instruction convincing them to give, to pray, to fast. But Jesus knew they needed him to show them the right reasons to give, to pray, to fast, the right motives. The first one Jesus mentioned was giving. And some of you just got mighty nervous. Money and possessions, stuff, that's a sensitive topic. But Jesus did not shy away from it. But this was more than just about giving. Many modern translations make it clear Jesus was referring to practicing your righteousness before other people. Check out the ESV. The practice of giving alms was traditionally associated with being charitable to the poor, to the needy. Although the hypocrites were doing good by helping the poor, they were nullifying their spiritual benefit by broadcasting their goodness for all the world to see. They would put on the billboard, check out how much I gave. I'm a pretty good guy. And Jesus said, well, I hope you enjoyed the billboard. That was your reward. All you're looking for is fame and recognition. Well, you got it. So rather than seeking God's approval, which is eternal, they sought man's approval, which is only temporal. The importance of giving and generosity cannot be overstated. Jesus was speaking about giving to the poor of their land who sat in public places and begged for alms. Just like the man who sat daily at the temple and asked Peter and John if they would give him something. But it's not the only type of giving mentioned as normal and beneficial in Scripture. Many believers in the book of Acts sold their possessions and they gave gifts to the church to benefit the entire church body. Take a look at Acts 2, verse 45, Acts 4, verses 32 through 37. Church leaders also received a special offering for famine relief in Judea, Acts 11, verses 27 through 30. Just like present-day churches would give in response to hurricanes or earthquakes or tornadoes. It was common for churches to support their pastoral ministry financially, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 13 through 14. 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 through 18. Giving generously was normal for all New Testament Christians. That was a way of life. It's impossible to be apostolic, to live as the apostles did, without giving generously. So here's our first question. Why is the topic of giving sometimes difficult to address in our 21st century culture? And believe me, as someone who has pastored, it's a tough topic to cover. Just the act of giving alone is not sufficient. Jesus taught it is possible to do right for the wrong reason. Giving with a pure motive demonstrates and grows our faith and our trust in God. When we give faithfully, consistently, sacrificially, we grow as we trust God, and He continues to supply our every need. We may not experience wealth and prosperity. In fact, 
likely won't. And yet God will always provide our every need. Jesus encouraged those who are listening that God sees their good deeds. God is the only one we need to see our giving. The proper motive for our spiritual disciplines is to grow closer to God in relationship and likeness. Just as God himself has given bountifully to humanity, including giving himself on the cross, we are to imitate him by giving selflessly to others. The principles of giving are closely related to the principle of sowing and reaping. Paul encouraged his readers, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, not like a grump, for God loveth a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6-7. through The ESV, the English Standard Version, translates part of this passage as not reluctantly or under compulsion. We're not giving because we feel bad, and we're not giving because we're pressured. We're giving because we're generous. We want to give, not out of obligation. Because if we give out of obligation, we're not going to receive any blessing from God for our giving. Giving is a privilege we have to honor God and to bless others all at the same time. Giving should not be viewed as a burden, but an opportunity. We should purpose to honor the Lord through regular, generous, joyful giving, and then note the change it makes in our lives. Second question, how can we properly see giving as a privilege, not a burden or obligation? We're going to go on to praying, and for those of you who are still sweating about giving, let's move forward. Jesus also assumed his followers would be praying because he said, when thou prayest, Matthew 6, verse 6. Although many people sincerely desire to pray, many aren't sure how or where to begin. And Jesus first addressed underlying motivations behind prayer, helped reveal the purpose of prayer, and gave us an example of prayer. Thank you, Jesus. The passage we know commonly as the Lord's Prayer is a helpful template for believers who are learning how to pray. Believers just beginning to pray would do well to use this prayer as a starting point as they grow comfortable speaking with God on a regular basis. By simplest definition, prayer is communication with God. And what a privilege it is to pray. For any relationship to thrive, there must be healthy communication. If you're married, you must communicate with each other for your marriage to thrive. God speaks to us through his word, but he also speaks to us through times of prayer. Healthy prayer is dialogue where we commune with God and he communes with us and he wants to. It would be foolish to think a marriage could thrive if a husband talked all the time and the wife would never respond or if the wife was chatting all the time and the husband just grunted and never really responded. We have to have a two-way conversation and we have it with God through prayer. The more we practice prayer, the more familiar we will be to hear and know God's voice and be better able to discern his will and his desire for our lives. Since prayer is communication with God, prayer is an intimate practice. The hypocrites Jesus described prayed primarily to be seen by other people. Their desire wasn't to speak with God as much as it was to perform in public. If you pray to be admired by other people, congratulations, you'll probably get what you ask for, but that's all. Those who pray to touch the heart of God will have more than humanity could ever provide. 
It's far more important that God hears our prayers than any other human hears our prayers. And that isn't to say believers should not pray together. James encouraged us to do that, to gather together to pray. James 5 verse 16, New Testament believers frequently gathered together to pray, especially for urgent needs such as God to release Peter from prison. See Acts 12 verse 12. But when we pray together, our focus must remain on God, not on people. We want him to hear us, not praying for others to hear us. Those who experience the beauty and the mystery of prayer can testify, prayer really does change things. Prayer draws us closer to God, helps us better hear and know His voice, transforms our heart, changes our circumstance, and results in countless indescribable blessings. Maybe that is why Paul encouraged Christians to pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17. Discovering the power of prayer should draw us to live a lifestyle where prayer is common and frequent. Here's another question. What has been your experience with prayer? Is prayer difficult or is prayer a joy for you? The true story we heard about, about the bivocational pastor and the very difficult supervisor testifies that continual, disciplined, consistent prayer will draw us closer to God. Prayer changes things. But first, prayer changes the heart and the mind of the person praying. Those who don't allow prayer to transform them and continue to pray selfish prayers James called that asking amiss when they pray, James 4, verse 3. But the wise believer will do well to approach prayer with humility and with servitude, not presumption, not arrogance. Even Jesus concluded a prayer with, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, Luke 22, verse 42. If Jesus, who was God in human flesh, had to pray, Not my will, but yours be done, believe me, so do we. True humility in prayer recognizes the superiority and the sovereignty of God, the insufficiency of human wisdom and knowledge, and the importance of being formed into God's image. Through humble and consistent prayer, we can daily draw closer to God. And at this point in our episode, I want to share with you the audio from a video that is available in the Digital Resource Kit. It's a video that goes along with God's Word for Life, and it'll help to accent exactly what we're hearing. The threads of prayer have always been a part of my life from a young child. I remember hearing my grandparents pray, being in their home. And so as I grew older and became a part of the youth group and and my personal experiences began to you know, form my life, I had a good base for prayer. But it never prepares you for the things that life throws at you. Um, I remember as uh, an adult going through um, a struggle in my life, uh, going through a divorce and the loss of my mom, and feeling a lot of that pressure and anxiety, and yet knowing throughout it all, that God was always going to be faithful. He'd always been faithful. In particular, there was this one moment when, um, because of so many court costs through the time of divorce and trying to you know, have custody of my kids, uh, I had a stack of bills. And I took all those bills and I put them in our family Bible. And I just prayed over and I said, Lord, I'm not going to worry about it. I've lived a life that has been foundationally on prayer. And so I'm just going to leave it here for you. 
and within a matter of a few months, I don't know, I know it was God, obviously, but every single one of them was taken care of. And so when I look back and I look through my life as a child through, you know, growing up my adolescence and even as an adult, I can see the threads of prayer that were taught, that were learned. But at the same time, I personally had to remember too that He was the one I could go to and God was the one ultimately that had all the answers to my prayer. The voice you just heard was our friend Joy Fox sharing a story in her life about prayer and that video and others much like it are available in the digital resource kit for God's Word for Life. Pentecostalpublishing.com goes right along with all the lessons and the episodes. From time to time, I'll share some of those audio of the videos with you. You can get those videos at Pentecostalpublishing.com. The final discipline Jesus mentioned in this section of the Sermon on the Mount was fasting. Oh, fasting, fasting. It's mentioned multiple times in the Old Testament. Moses fasted 40 days and 40 nights while spending time with God on the summit of Mount Sinai. Exodus 34, verse 28. The Day of Atonement called all the congregation to afflict their souls, which was often a reference to fasting. See Leviticus 16, verses 29 through 30. Jewish and rabbinical tradition called for even more fasting. But fasting had become so commonplace that the people had forgotten its purpose. They forgot the why for the what they were doing. And Jesus assumed his followers were already fasting, so he didn't set out to change their fasting. He set out to change the reason they fasted. Of the three disciplines we've covered, fasting might be the most uncomfortable because it goes against our basic need to eat. Fasting is so uncomfortable. So undesirable. Nobody gets up in the morning and says, Woohoo, it's a fast day today. Our bodies need food to survive, and quite frankly, we want it. That's part of God's design. But God also designed humanity to know how to gather food and feed the body. But the act of fasting causes us to remember that communion with God is even more important than our most basic human needs. As Job sat in an ash heap, scraping boils from his skin with a broken piece of clay, he reflected on how important God was to him, and here's how he described it. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job 23, verse 12. Fasting reminds us that having a strong relationship with God will sustain us even better than Chick-fil-A can, and that's saying something. The Pharisees followed all the required fasts, and even more. They were judgmental of those who did not fast as fastidiously as they did. They were fastidious fasters. The Pharisees even distorted their faces to look weaker than they already were, hoping their gaunt expressions would impress more people. Ironically, by fasting just to look better than others, the Pharisees fell into the wrong motives, the same ones as Old Testament Israel, and earned a similar rebuke from God, just like Old Testament Israel. Isaiah 58, verse 4, Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. That sounds like some hangry people. But ye shall not fast as ye do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. Isaiah 58, verse 4, Fasting done for the purpose of strife and debate is never God's will. Our proper motive to fast, as with every spiritual discipline, must be to draw closer to God. And even fasting helps us disconnect from the world and draw closer to God. Our flesh is weak and limited. I can speak for myself when I say my flesh is weak and limited. But fasting reminds us we are more than flesh and blood. 
Fasting helps us to empty ourselves of selfish desires and helps bring our spirits more in line with what God is doing in our lives. So here's a question that some of you may be asking yourselves. How often should we fast? If we cannot fast meals because of medical condition, what other ways can we fast? Those are good questions. Giving, praying, and fasting are only some of the spiritual disciplines we can practice on a regular basis to draw closer to God. Regular study of God's Word and meditation on spiritual things are also biblically demonstrated disciplines. Even evangelism, service, fellowship are forms of spiritual disciplines. Perhaps the most difficult of all are the practices of silence and solitude where we get alone with God free from distraction so we can meditate on Him and His Word. Disciplines are not easy. That's why they're called disciplines. And they're not instinctive. They must be developed and strengthened over time. Muscles don't grow with one trip to the gym. Disciplines don't either. They're not perfected in one day. Disciplines require consistency over time, and they may become a positive habit that daily draws us closer to God. And God is honored when we faithfully make time to spend with Him. He's ready to meet with us at all times. He honors our efforts every time we come to Him. In all our spiritual disciplines, we have this promise to remember from James, draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. James 4, verse 8. Last question. Which spiritual discipline helps you feel closest to God? And that will be our question of the week. So go to facebook.com, look for God's Word for Life. The link is in the show notes. And let me hear from you. Which spiritual discipline helps you feel closest to God? And with that, we wrap this up. The bivocational pastor from our earlier story was immediately humbled when the speaker suggested he should change his thoughts and actions before he should ever expect his boss to change. The pastor reflected how he was a lifelong apostolic. He was an ordained minister of the gospel, a believer who had spent over a year praying for this woman to treat him and his colleagues better. But he had never once considered treating her better. The pastor had spent so much time in his spiritual disciplines praying for God to change her, but not one time asking God to change him. As the pastor told the story, he was quick to clarify that it is absolutely biblical to pray for situations or other people to change. It happens. However, if our prayers for change only ask for others to change and not ourselves, well, we are praying amiss. The pastor realized his prayers were actually somewhat selfish because none of them were for this woman's salvation or for her well-being. His prayers were simply for his convenience and comfort and preference that he would just have a better day at work because she was having a better day at work and it would be more comfortable around the office. He admitted he had not actually thought critically about how he prayed until God revealed it to him. One of the dangers of knowing truth is assuming we always handle the truth correctly and we treat others like we should. Thankfully, we have truth. Apostolics have the truth of the Word of God, but as long as we're flesh and blood, we're not going to be perfect and we can't assume we're always correct or we treat others correctly. There's a difference between having the truth as a piece of theoretical knowledge and actually walking daily in that truth and allowing it to change our lives. There's also a big difference, an ocean-sized difference, between knowing about God and knowing Him personally. The first requires us memorizing and learning facts, but the second requires daily, faithful, spiritual disciplines. The first requires we just collect some knowledge, but the second 
requires we become a practitioner. We apply that knowledge to our daily life. Our spiritual disciplines like giving, praying, fasting can help us discover new levels of spiritual intimacy with God we have not experienced yet. Spiritual disciplines can move us from a spiritual astronomer, someone always looking up and studying the stars, to a spiritual astronaut who actually gets to see them up close. When we learn to give, to pray, to fast with faithfulness and with cheerfulness, God will meet us in those disciplines and he will lift us to new heights. I want us to pray for God to help us to see our spiritual disciplines like he sees them, not as a chore or an obligation or just something to check the box, but the privilege to have close relationship with God. And then secondly, for God to help us to be faithful in each of those disciplines. Lord, I love you. Help us to see prayer and giving and fasting and other spiritual disciplines, meditation, silence, solitude, generosity, all those help us to see them like you see them. Not a chore, not a checkbox, but the privilege to draw close to you, the privilege to know you, to be near you, to hear your voice, to walk with you. Help us every day to walk in the Spirit, to live for you, walk with you, know you. Help us as disciples to have these spiritual disciplines in our lives so we can honor and please and praise you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much, God's Word for Life listeners. I hope this has been a blessing to you. Be sure to subscribe, like, follow, share, and click the bell or the notify button, and you will always know every time a new episode drops. And share it with your friends so they will also know. Also, all of our curriculum, you will find that on PentecostalPublishing.com. Everything for adult, youth, children, and our fall curriculum is live on Monday, July 17th. So if you're looking for fall curriculum or you're looking for the adult God's Word for Life hardback, it's beautiful. Volume 3, the 2023-2024 season, you can get all of that, PentecostalPublishing.com, and use GWFL10 as a promo code and save 10% off your order. Also, teachers, head over to formed.upci. Org. We are getting excited and ready for Formed 2023. It will air August 12th at 9 a.m. Central and feature 17 experienced, effective teachers sharing practical tips and techniques on how teachers in the local church can teach God's Word to children, youth, and adults so Christ is formed in all of us. Formed.upci.org. You can register for teams and you can register for individuals. I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be exciting and super helpful. Next week, we continue this walk through the Sermon on the Mount in our series called Kingdom Living, and our episode next week is entitled The Kingdom First. Looking forward to sharing that with you next week, and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.